Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode with Meredith Keith Church. And before I get started, I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts tribes. Um, I share a land acknowledgement before every episode, um, different reasons every time, because I think that the road to social justice is multifaceted and we can apply it in many, many different ways. And Today feels particularly relevant, actually, because the first time I talked to Meredith, I noticed that she had her land acknowledgement in her Zoom caption, like where her name is. It says Tohono, and I'm I, actually I'm gonna let you pronounce it, Meredith, since you, um, since I can't, I don't think I can pronounce it correctly, but she has it in her Zoom caption um, right before her pronoun, her preferred pronouns. So it just feels like this is going to be such a rich conversation, and um, I love that. I saw that and I learned that. And what was really telling to me was that you said you put that into your, um, into your, where your name is because you were in so many conversations where you were actually doing a land acknowledgement. So to kind of not, but to kind of further acknowledge it, you were in a space that was open to having that um, be part of the conversation. And I love that because I'm not part of like, most of my Zooms are not led with a land acknowledgement. Um, and so before we um, dive into conversation and you talk about like where you're from and all of that, um, I'll first share your intro. Um, Meredith is the founder of Decolonizing Your Health, where she helps unconventional women reject oppressive norms and create the lifestyles that they truly want. In addition to this, she, she enjoys multiple other roles, including that of dancer, vocalist, and self-directed education advocate. She's part of a low-tech, car-free, conventional, school-free, conscious, living, minimalist family. Meredith, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and chatting with you today. Thank you. So, um, well, first, I'll let you acknowledge where where you are. Yes. So I am on the traditional and unceded lands of the Thana'atham people primarily. Um, there are another a, a number of different groups here. Zoom only allows me to put um, one. There's also the Paskiaki people as well. Um, but yes, that is how you pronounce it. And that um, that's the lands that I'm on currently. Wonderful. And it's, it just, I like our first interaction where I saw that it, it just said something about, I mean, and then of course your business name is called decolonizing your health. So I'm like, I need to talk to this person. Um, but before we get to diving into that word, I actually wanted to talk about the theme for this season, which is unlearning. And I would love to hear about, I think a lot of what you're doing is falls very much into that category, um, just with different words and whatnot. But I'd love to hear what you think of that word unlearning and what you are currently unlearning. Yes, absolutely. So I love the concept of unlearning from several different areas, right? So um, from the decolonization perspective, I have taken this 
outlook on health, wellness, overall lifestyle optimization, because I feel like it's really helpful for people to sort of know how we got to be where we are um, and how we've gotten a lot of the ideas that we have, because I think that actually helps move forward, you know, and some people might think, well, that's, I'm, how does that work? You know, shouldn't we just be focusing on where we're headed? And yes, and it's also true that sometimes we have these moments of realization when we, we figure out where we've got things from and it helps us move forward because sometimes I think we just, we don't give it a lot of thought. We think, oh, we just ended up here. I'm not sure how we are doing these things or why we're doing them. So I talk about the effects of colonization on our lives specifically because so many things that we're doing in our society today came from capitalization, which came from colonization, like they're all linked, right? So a lot of times people, it's like, well, I'm living this society, I'm doing these things, they feel fine, everyone else is doing them. But when we can really look at, well, what was the process of introducing some of these newer ideas? Where did they come from? And that piece of, you know, the colonized thought and, uh, you know, really living in this like capitalist society um, sometimes doesn't occur to people. And when they really think about their values and what they believe in, they don't always line up with some of the things that we're doing. And when we realize, you know, that was someone else's idea um, and it's still someone else's idea, it's still not really mine. How can we separate that out? And it doesn't mean we don't like some of the technology or some of the new ideas. Some of them can integrate just fine with our values and what we really believe especially if we're connected to the wider world around us and we're not just thinking about us and, you know, being siloed or separated from the rest of the community and our surroundings. Um, and some things maybe don't fit and that can be almost just the, the catalyst for folks to make those changes. Like, oh, you know what? Now that I know where these came from and they weren't necessarily connected with my background, my ancestry, my beliefs, what have you, now I feel like, okay, I can move forward in this way, knowing this is where it came from. I can let it go. So that's kind of a bit of the connection that I see between this decolonization mindset and unlearning, because it then takes the next step of saying, what else might be true? Is what I believe really true for me? Is there something I need to leave behind and maybe I can explore another way of being. And to do that, besides the unlearning, then I want to go in a different direction and I want to know what I want to learn, what I'm moving towards. Um, so that's the one area. And then the other area you mentioned as a part of my introduction was that self-directed education piece. So that's the other connection to unlearning that I feel pretty strongly about um, because I do believe that we all arrived here able to learn all on our own, right? And we maybe change how that's best for us, like in what ways we learn. And it's still true that we can do it on our own. Like we can direct that on our own. We don't need people to tell us. Uh, we don't have to take classes, although we might want to take classes. It's great to get that external input, right? I think that where it really becomes essential to notice is when taking on other people's ideas without trying them out, 
seeing if they fit, and then making that assessment. When are we just maybe not being Mm -hmm. super mindful about it? Like, I've got this idea. It came from this person. I'm going to make this my own, but then not pause reflecting or taking that time to really assess, is this still working? If so, great. If not, can let it go, maybe unlearn that and go in a different direction. So Mm. those are the two ways I sort of connect with that personally. Mm. Love that. What are you currently unlearning? Oh my gosh, so many things. (laughs) So I would say the thing that comes to mind would be the idea of perfectionism, that ideal that, again, has been given to us, you know, from a certain framework. Let's say, for example, um, men identifying folks, um, more of a white, you know, culture, uh, European background of what is perfect, what is right, uh, what is professional, um, sort of outward appearance that needs to look a certain way. And if I'm not speaking that way, writing that way, coming across that way, oh no, it's wrong. People won't like me. I'll upset people, that sort of thing. That is definitely something that continues to be a process of unlearning for me. And, you know, nobody has all the answers, of course. And even those of us that are actively working towards things still have to make it a conscious choice. Because if we've been steeped in this culture for years, decades, et cetera, it's not an overnight process to let that go, even if we're, we're making intentional choices around it. So that's definitely something that it's like every day, why am I feeling this pressure? Why am I not moving forward with this? Is it because I'm holding myself to this standard? And how can I let that go? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard that perfectionism was this one of like the pillars of white supremacy. And it like blew my mind. It's like, of course, like, because perfectionism means that there is a standard of some sort and who has set that standard and, and in all the realms, right. That you mentioned like professionally and the way you write, the way you speak, like all the ways that we present ourselves and the ways that, that we, that others see us and whether or not we fit into those buckets. And what I find really interesting is that for, let's say the perfection is a, like the perfect person is um, like, let's just say they have two arms and two legs. So if you don't have two arms and two legs, then you automatically will never, ever even get there. And there, that's like, um, or like the skin tone, like my skin tone, is, like I'm, I'm Chinese, like I will never be white. And if the, if the idea of being perfect is white, then how do you even grapple with that? Right? Like, yes, you can't even try to do that. Yes, exactly. Like you'll never get there. You've sort of already been told like, this isn't for you. Right. And anything that's connected with those privileges will not be for you because you can't get to that, that standard. Yeah. It's wonderful. I, I love how you talk about it around health too. And I love to hear like how you came to do the work that you do, because it's, I haven't seen it in this way. And I feel like the word decolonization is so like in the zeitgeist right now. Um, But 
it feels like you've been doing this for a bit longer than it's been around in the popular culture. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's a great question in terms of like how I got started out. So I would say that it's it's a combination really of my background and beliefs and what I saw I could help people with. So in terms of the specific focus on health and wellness, I was really influenced by um, family members, specifically my parents, um, seeing them live together, married 50 years. And uh, my father was super um, healthy. He didn't struggle with health issues. Um, He was a happy person. And my mom, on the other hand, struggled with health issues her whole life, honestly, from childhood before I knew her on. And seeing the way the two of them lived in the same home and had many of the same habits, however, diverged in several key areas. And seeing that, in my opinion, you know, what was happening was not a coincidence. Um, My father with his community, he had support and friends, a very positive outlook on life. Even when things were stressful, he was able to come back to being grateful for what he had and the the privileges he had versus my mom being very um, insular, insulated, keeping to herself, not trusting others enough to sort of let them help her. Um, And then my father would move very frequently. That just felt natural for him. He didn't play sports, but he got out for walks and that kind of thing. And my mom just didn't, didn't really move her body, um, was not a fan of being outside. Just all of these lifestyle choices that were not as obvious as say like eating vegetables, although my mom kind of never met a vegetable she liked. So there was that. Um, So, you know, there were sort of the, I would say what people would consider obvious factors in health. And then those that are not seen like the community and the lifestyle outlook, that kind of thing. Um, And so I saw that firsthand and I thought, wow, is it possible that our choices in everyday living could really make that big of a difference? Then I got an even up closer look when my stepkids moved in with our family full time and they had been um, going back and forth between our household and their moms and very different households. And when they moved in with us full time, they um, stopped being sick. They'd always had like flus, colds, upper respiratory infections, something. Um, They had been unfortunately overweight and and at an unhealthy weight for kids, particularly, you know, when they're growing and developing, you, you want your kids to be at a healthy weight so they can make those developmental changes in the best way possible. Um, So their health gradually changed for the better in ways that, again, I just felt like this is not a coincidence. You know, their lifestyle changed in terms of their movement, their food, um, just all kinds of things in their environment. So having seen those up close and personal, I thought, I know that this can be true for other people. I know that people can make conscious lifestyle choices that align with what fits for them and is easy and helps them just be healthier and therefore happier. So I wanted to be able to help people in the ways that I had learned um, from that perspective. And in terms of the decolonization piece, it's interesting because, you know, as you say, people are talking about this now and they were not when I started this work. So I've been doing this for around 15 years. Um, I've had my specific health coaching business for about 10 of those. Um, and before it was sort of informally helping people, volunteering, um, speaking, you know, that kind of thing didn't have it as much in a, in a business framework, but, um, a lot of people weren't necessarily ready to hear 
this kind of message. Um, you know, it was maybe hard enough to think about changing their lifestyle, but to realize where it had come from and to sort of come to terms with that. Um, and certainly colonization has affected different people in different ways. Um, my particular background is uh, of Maya ancestry. I'm from Guatemala, was born in Guatemala. Um, I have been raised here in the U.S. from a very young age. So I have this combination of, you know, my ancestry, roots, ethnicity, what have you, um, and then being in a different place than my ancestors are really from. Um, uh, as my lived experience, and that's it's specific. Uh, I also identify as female. I'm also Jewish. Um, so this combination of things, you know, really sort of has me put a unique unique spin on things. And so I felt like that could be beneficial to folks. And even though I knew I wasn't going to fit in with sort of like the mainstream health and wellness, you know, industry, so to speak, that's okay because I've really never fit in, so to speak, in many different anyway. So I thought, you know what, <laughs> this is just kind of following, um, following that path. So um, I would say that I also had experiences following conventional ways of doing things based on the, the places that I grew up and what other people were doing. So I tried that road. Um, I went to conventional schools. I sort of followed that path of you go to conventional school, then you go to a university or a college, and then you get a job at a, in an office working for other people. So I spent time in the corporate world in the United States. Um, I tried all those things on. So I feel like I have the perspective of you know, I tried that. I can speak from experience personally that it doesn't work. And then I've also seen all these other folks who aren't me similarly trying them, then switching gears, following, you know, their actual soul's purpose and what they're here to do and seeing a different result. So all of those things combined is really how I got into doing what I'm doing now. And when you, when we talk about decolonizing health, can you give some examples? Because I think that when you put those two words together, which I don't think I had seen together, um, I kind of get the idea of both, right? I, I mean, I have a health coach certification, so I even know that part of it. But when you talk about decolonizing health, it, it makes me think a little too hard. <laughs> so I'd love to sure. hear what like examples you have. Absolutely. Okay. So let's take, for example, food, which is one thing I think, you know, everybody can relate to, um, regardless of sort of where they are with it. Um, you know, we've gotten certain messages about what we're supposed to eat just because in today's world, we have access to all kinds of food from all over, right? So there was a time where we didn't have that, where wherever we were as people and as a community, we had access to certain plants, certain animals at certain times of the year. So we were able to eat, a, you know, a limited amount of things and also, we had to work for them, work to get them, right, whether it's plant or animal or what have you. And so we were not always eating. We were not, we didn't have these processed food available. We didn't have food available from other sides of the world that perhaps we didn't biologically evolve to be used to processing, like digesting, right? So in these ways, I found that when people keep that in mind. And then we focus on, okay, what feels good for you to eat specifically? So for example, in some areas, corn is a grain that's a staple, but 
sometimes health and wellness folks say things like, oh, corn is bad for you. Corn is full of sugar. And, you know, depending on how it can be grown, there are all these problems with it. You shouldn't eat corn. Well, is that true for every person? Maybe not. There are areas where they would say, you should eat wheat. That's, that's better. It's more plentiful. And, you know, and maybe some folks really didn't evolve, their systems didn't evolve to process wheat well. So that can be an issue. The same is true of rice, for example, as a grain as well. Um, So really looking at this advice that we're getting and whether or not it truly applies to us, because there is no one size fits all approach and looking at how we evolved and what works for us individually. So that's an example how food, colonization with food has sort of pushed people to perhaps be ingesting things that are not good for them, that are potentially hurting them. Um, Technology is another one, right? So, uh, you know, we have all this technology, it can do great things. And so a lot of folks have just accepted, this is the way it is, because this is new. And this is what the powers that be are telling us, this is how we have to live our lives. Well, we can use it. And at the point at which to, it starts to not feel good, we can remember that this is not really what our human body was meant to be doing. We weren't meant to be spending all this time on screens. And um, it doesn't mean we have to never use them. And there's this way for us to, to think, okay, what, what do we actually evolve to do? We are meant to be outside. We're meant to be moving. We're meant to be really connecting with the earth and nature in some way. So when is the time to step away from these things that are really new inventions that people are trying to sell us on that we need so many of and so much of? When is it time to listen to our bodies and remove the things that aren't working for us and be okay saying no? Because just because something is, I would say, normal in the definition of conforming to society's norms doesn't mean it's natural. So when we're looking at decolonizing some of these pieces, How can we remove the things that people have just told us we're supposed to be doing because this all stems back from people coming from another land and saying, these are the things we're doing now. These are the things that are, uh, you know, new and and better than the things that you used to use and how you used to communicate and that kind of thing. So those are a couple of areas that, you know, I specifically look at when we're talking about our health and wellness. And of course, there are many more, but Hopefully that helps kind of put some specificity around it um, and how we can, you know, really look at each lifestyle choice that we're making. That's wonderful. And the, I was going to ask you because, you know, in the introduction, you talk about being low tech, car free. um, And, you know, we have people who are listening to this, obviously via technology. um, And some people are, are more attached to it and some people aren't, but like, when you talk about like being car free, for instance, or I think you said you don't have a phone. Is that correct? correct? I do not have a mobile phone. Yes. You do not have a mobile phone. So like, I don't know how many people's minds are like right now, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, when I hear things like this, it's uh, the thought that comes to mind is like, oh, well, that's great. If that person can do it, that's not for me. Like, how do you respond to people who are like, oh, well, I can't do that. Because you, you you said a little bit about that earlier. Like if someone hears that and they're like, well, I can't do that. That's not, that's not going to work for me. I work, you know, whatever, and I need to check my emails and, and whatever it may be. How do you respond to that? So I do get that a lot for sure. And I also get the, 
it's a similar sentiment, but slightly differently phrased, which is, I wish I could do that. Oh, I really wish I could do that, right? So there's, there are two different mindsets because some people are not ready. And when they say, I could never do that, what they mean is, I don't want to do that, which is fine, right? Um, I have found. However, some people have that more, that, that other side of it. Oh, I wish I could do that. Like, that seems impossible, but I would really like to. So with the folks who are ready and open and willing to look at it, you know, it's just a matter of trying to broaden our minds about what's more possible. So right now, yes, here's how you are living. For example, the car-free thing. Um, You know, I have had people say, oh, I really wish I could do that, but I can't imagine how. Well, it does take some intentional choice making, right? So we have not always been car free. So we're a family, right? And we have kids. And so people have also said, I couldn't do it, never do that with kids. So, and I have friends who have done it with kids as well as clients. And so you start small. So we didn't go from having two cars and in the suburbs to not having a car that wouldn't have been attainable. That would have been realistic, right? Because we were really far away. So we started by living, moving to a place that had more things to offer within a distance that you didn't need a car. Then we went down to one car first. I actually wasn't willing to go completely car free. This is my husband's idea. I thought I was like, what, what's going on? That I had that same reaction. Right? I said, that we can't do that. We can't, you know? And so he said, well, let's just go down to one and see what happens. So it was scary. It felt really scary, but we lived in an area that had some bikeable options, walkable options, public transportation. So now it's like, oh, my frame of reference changed because I thought you had to drive a car everywhere. Once I realized there were other options, I slowly started to come around to, okay, well, I've never ridden a bus before. So what's that like? Let's, before we get rid of the car, let's try it out, right? Like, let's do the park and ride. And that's actually what we did at first when we still lived in the suburbs. We went down to one car and my husband said, I think you can take me to the park and ride. And then I can take the bus from there. And then you can have the car. I work downtown in our area, so I don't need that. So it's, it's those things. It's those like small, let's try this out before we've completely committed. So it doesn't feel as scary. I don't recommend people just completely diving into something that's that new and that different from your existing lifestyle in a quick way, because I think that's a little bit tougher to do. So just those smaller things, let's try the park and ride. Okay. Now we're in a more urban area or, you know, what we're on the bus line. Let's try that. Let's get a bike. I hadn't ridden a bike for decades. I had to get a new bike, relearn how to ride it, you know, um, all of that. It feel comfortable being in traffic. Well, there were steps to take, and it's true for everyone. I have a client who didn't want to go completely um, phone-free, rather, and they'd been in a car accident years ago, had still been in physical therapy, and they could tell that it really hurt their neck to constantly be in a position Mm -hmm. that we often find ourselves on our mobile phones, right? So she didn't want to be, you know, phone-free, and she wanted to use it a lot less. She just wasn't sure where to start. So that's something that we worked on together. She said, you know, I want to listen to podcasts and listen to music on it. Um, and I just don't want to constantly be using text messaging. I really would rather have phone conversations on my landline or maybe even use my computer for messaging, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's just a matter of like, okay, what are 
small things that we can do transition. So she started communicating with other people in her life. You know what? Please use this for messaging. Please use this for phone calls. You know, understand I am transitioning out of using my cell phone in this way. Um, And it took a little bit of time. She has adult kids and So some of them were like, what? But I like texting your phone number. What about WhatsApp? All these kinds of things, right? It took a little bit of time, or as she called it, like retraining people in her life. But, and over time it happened. And, you know, so overjoyed with how much better she felt. I mean, it was, it was very soon, if not immediate, that as soon as she started transitioning from using her phone in that way, that her neck stopped hurting. So, I mean, very real, you know, results can happen from just these small changes. So that's what comes of really just wanting it for one thing. Like if you really want it, there is a way, there are choices, and there's a gradual way to move into some of these. Yeah. And then you just mentioned like the two things, like you physically have to make changes, but you also mentally have to be ready. Now, what happens when someone comes to you and says, I want to make these changes, but they're kind of afraid of not being normal, right? Like how do you help someone be okay with that? So part of it is that desire to really be living with what makes sense for you. And so because I come from this decolonization framework, you know, folks who are interested in that, they, they are interested in figuring out, okay, how do I remove these mindsets that came from somewhere else and someone else and figure out what I really want? So part of that separation from, you know, the rest of society is that interest in really tapping into our voice. And you talk about this, right? Like being who you are, right? Finding out who you are. So that's an integral part of this process. Wanting to connect with that helps provide some of that motivation and that drive because it becomes more important for us to be following our own voice than to follow others. The second piece though is finding community because I guarantee you that there are other people out there wanting to do exactly what you're doing other people with your same beliefs and values. And it's a matter of finding that community because in that way, you then become normal with your society's norms, right? So sometimes when I help clients, I am the first person perhaps that they have connected with, right? So I can function as that for them. I can function as their community and their reminder that there are other people wanting to do this. And as they start to move into listening to themselves, they find that they are able to attract those other people because they now know here's what I, you know, here's what I believe. This is me versus this is other people. And they can then really hone in on those groups that are similar perhaps, or even individuals. Um, because it's like, once we are settled in our values and our belief systems, and we know who we are, we then are able to attract those other people. We recognize them. Oh, Hey, here's somebody doing something similar to what I'm doing. Let me introduce myself. Let me join this group. So it really just starts with having that one person to help support you and who you are. And then you realize you can broaden your community and find people who get you that you don't have to explain things to that, you know, are already doing some of these things that you can connect with and collaborate with. And that makes all the difference. It's such a good point. We are community-based beings, right? And when you're embarking on like making changes to your health or 
any sort of change, it always feels so like, oh, I got to do it. Like I, I have to make the change and it's all up to me to do it. And it's, it's almost like, well, I have to make a change, which means almost like I was wrong before. So now I'm wrong. So I almost need to do it in secret to, and then, and then emerge as this like right being and, um, and not call on the help to kind of support you in that process. Yes. And it's funny that you mention it that way, because that helps me remember that that's another piece of colonization is that we have to do everything by ourselves, right? We're in independence is the new goal that we're striving for versus uh, many, many, many years ago, a long time ago, we operated in community. That was normal, right? And people didn't do things on their own. There were large groups of people to help share this load until this idea came across that, oh, every person for themselves and, you know, only looking out for each other. So again, getting back to that idea that was always meant to support us in the first place which is that we're not alone and we do operate in community and that is the best for us. Mm-hmm. I, I think about like, what did my ancestors used to do or what did cave people do? Like when I make this certain decisions and then I think, well, it's, it's this like, not a mind game, but you have to, there's a lot to balance when you're making these decisions, right? Because like you said, like you, you are not where your ancestors were. So you're in a new climate. So you're, so you have to first to, to understand where your ancestry was and like what those people ate, let's just say, for instance. But then you also have to realize that you're in your location and there's also biological things that are happening there that you have to also consider. And then there is then like the um, the moral issues of like, do I buy quinoa? Because the, the farmers in Peru aren't um, aren't eating, like aren't even able to feed themselves. So there's this really big, like a lot of balancing to do when you're trying to do something, I think from this like decolonization standpoint, can you speak a little bit about that? Yes, um, definitely. And again, this, this goes back to, I think our idea of perfectionism, right? Cause it's like, we want to do everything once, especially once we realize our eyes are opened, we're making mindful choices. We're not just on autopilot. Then we might have this tendency to go, oh my gosh, I have to do all of these things in these ways that feel right and aligned and all of that. Right. And you know, every day we get to start fresh. And at the end of the day, like we do the best we can. So I definitely think it helps with overwhelm and and sort of like pushing back against that overwhelm to try to do everything to understand that we only can do what we can do. And if all we've done is at least change to making those choices on purpose, we're steps ahead of where we were, right? If, If we are making these choices intentionally rather than just letting things happen to us, then that's fantastic. And if that's all we can do, then that's all we can do, right? So depending on our financial situation, depending on what we have access to, where we are, all of that, you know, sometimes things are more difficult to implement or to change in our lives than others. So making it easy, you know, making it simple is the best way to actually have those lifestyle changes and choices click and stay because if we're really trying to jump through lots of hoops in an effort to do, quote, everything right, um, that's not going to remain, you know, doable for us over time. And then there was kind of no point if we can't sustain it, right? So, so just the, the very active questioning will be enough because we'll be making those decisions based on 
is this something that I actually feel good about? Does this not feel right? And so just starting from there, I feel like is all the expectation we should have and then see how that unfolds. And sometimes we'll be super happy with the choices and sometimes we'll think, well, if I had other options, I might've made a different choice, but at least, you know, I'm picking the one that feels the best for me right now. Mm -hmm. It is. That's such a great point to take it easy and to remember that we are, we are conditioned to be, to be perfect and that that's actually not what we're striving for. Exactly. Great reminder. You um, talk about being a school-free family. I kind of want to dive into that, especially because we're talking about unlearning and you talk about yes. self-directed education. Yes. Um, can you just start off just giving us an intro and what you mean by school-free? Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, it's different in every area. However, um, in today's society, it is often expected or assumed that young people will leave their homes at a certain point in time and go to a school or institution, essentially, that's outside of the family to learn. That is a very modern invention. That is not how people originally learned. So that whole system is actually born out of colonization because at some point the Industrial Revolution and wanting to groom humans for manufacturing and that sort of thing is, was the whole purpose. And the system hasn't really changed. So, um, you know, we've had a variety of experiences. So I myself grew up in this conventional system, didn't know there was a choice kind of just moved through life like that. And when I became a parent, um, I learned that it was a choice. And I had previously to learning that sort of been on the same trajectory of this is what we do. We send our young people to these institutions, et cetera. So when I learned that it was actually optional, particularly in the place where I live um, in this country, in the US, um, I thought, oh, that's interesting. So what are the other options? And then sort of dove into this learning process, right? So what I found was that humans are designed and developed to just learn on our own. And we didn't need this external way of doing it. So it was definitely a big break um, for me to move away from this because it's what I knew. I also had had the experience with my stepkids and a shared parenting situation of their having been in school because it wasn't up to my husband and me entirely. We shared that decision with their other parent who had wanted them to go to school and wanted them to go to the school they had gone to, et cetera. Um, And what I found was that it didn't meet their needs. Um, My stepson was gifted and needed some other support. Um, My stepdaughter learned in a different way than they were teaching in the school, needed different kind of support. So the system didn't meet either of their needs. Um, And that was something that at the time we we didn't have a lot of options around. So I sort of watched them grow through that and it was very painful. Um, And then at some point in time when um, my stepkids did move in with us full time, we made a different choice. Uh, My stepson had had grown already and was on his his own, but um, my stepdaughter left the system. And watching the changes that happened there were just amazing. How she was able to learn how to learn. She had to sort of unlearn what she'd been taught about, this is how you learn. It needs to look like this. It needs to come from a book. It needs to be memorized facts, then regurgitated on an exam, that sort of thing, which didn't serve her well at all. Once she was able to unlearn that and just really learn about herself, her self-esteem grew. She realized she wasn't all these things that the school system had told her that she was, that she did learn just fine in certain ways. Um, And then additionally, 
because uh, my husband's and my child together is of color, I had this additional concern that beyond what I'd already seen happen with my stepkids, um, schools are really sources of oppression in so many ways. Um, and that's like a whole other topic, but just broadly, um, in my mind, you know, they sort of teach oppression from the perspective of there is a hierarchy, they're rooted in white supremacy. So if you are not a white student, there are, are things that you're not going to have access to. And I also think that they they sort of teach how to be oppressed because there's that whole competition you need to stay in your place and this kind of thing. So when we had the opportunity to completely opt out of the system, we really embraced that and started to realize by watching someone who never ended up in that system, we realized that beyond the whole talking and walking, which our kids already learn on their own, right? Because there aren't classes and there aren't books. They're just continuing to do that with everything. So we trust our kids to do it in the beginning. And then somehow we think that they magically turn whatever it is in your area, compulsory school age of four, five, six, seven, et cetera. Boom. All of a sudden they need guidance. It's just not true. They really don't. So, um, you know, part of that then is as adults, what can we learn from that experience? So watching someone who's never been told, you must learn this way, you must learn these things at this time from these people, watching them become a fully functioning human, continue on with this process, and then asking ourselves as adults, interesting, what might have happened if we hadn't been in that system? What could happen now that we're not in the system and we can make our own choices because we're learning as long as we're living, right? It doesn't stop just because we've left these institutions that, you know, we've been told this is the only way you can be educated, right? So it's been such an interesting experience. And that's why I'm such an advocate for it, because I feel like humans of any age can learn from the self-directed education movement. It's not just for young people, even though it may be serving the young people that at this point still have to opt out, you know, from the government officially of that, um, we can learn this concept at any point in time, learn how we learn best and just learn by living in the world and picking up what we need to pick up when we need it. So that's a little bit of an overview of my thoughts on that. Mm. I think that the education experience the education, the learning experience, like, stops for a lot of people. Like, once education stops, like, you know, the stats on, like, how many adults read a book, yes. a whole book after they graduate college or whatever it is, and who knows, like, in college <laughs> with cliff notes and all that right. stuff, um, if it happens or not. But it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I had, I, I would... I say I would never be able to homeschool. Um, I really don't. <laughs> I don't think I'm built for it. Um, but maybe that's just a belief of mine. But I, I do respect the that approach a lot because I do believe that we're biologically meant to inform ourselves. So we're naturally curious and about the things we're curious about, you know, you can't force curiosity onto somebody. Right. Um, and so like, if I don't want to learn math, then I'm probably not going to want to learn math and you can force it on me. But, um, but it is interesting to see how quickly kids take on. So my, so my oldest is in the conventional school system. And there was one day she was, um, she had a, um, it was a Christmas tree drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she brought it home and she was supposed to, I don't know if it was from school or if it was from like a, a booklet or something, I forget, but she was supposed to copy the, like the one that was on the box or on the, on the sheet. And so she was supposed to color it the same way and, and kind of draw it the same way. And she flipped out because she was not drawing it the same way. And I said, it's so like you, this is a computer that did this. I mean, like talk about like, like unattainable perfectionism, right? We're talking about like a computer generated graphic that you are trying to mimic on your own paper. And I think I still have her drawing somewhere. Like, but I I said, this is beautiful. Like you're doing your own way. And it was just, it made me realize how easily kids can be swept up into this idea of like, I need to do it this way. And it, it is, it's what they're rewarded for, right? Right. Um, but like, you need to do it this way. And that is the only way. And if you don't do it, then you're not worthy. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's great that you point out that, um, you know, you at home and, you know, other people in kids' lives can, can help, you know, sort of counter those. So if your kids are in the school system, that's okay. Just knowing, like what you said, that some of these messages that come across might affect them will help you to be able to have conversations with them around that, right? So that you can say, oh, you know what? I know that so-and-so may have told you this is really important and this means a lot to who you are. And that may be their perspective. Here's another way of seeing it, right? So just like knowing that that's okay. You know, you can have that lifestyle and still present these other ways so that they get that as well. And so, you know, it's like all is not lost. Just being aware of how the system works can help you respond in ways that are supportive of who that kiddo is um and and help them feel like it's okay you know all these things are being told you and and that's just one perspective right that's just one side so i appreciate that you're that you shared that hmm. and i'm no i've noticed in your language that you say and and you, there is this whole idea of like a lot of people have this like either or mentality and then there's this new emerging idea of both and that you can have both um and that could be a matter of balance. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of um, of mix to your desire. Um, I'd love to just hear kind of like your like what you think about that because I just noticed you said that a few times already. Where I think in normal conversation with other people, I would have heard them say, "But you can also like the but you know it's just it's a very different mindset and, and it and because you say it just in normal conversation, I can tell it's just ingrained in you." Yeah, so that is a little bit similar to what you talked about in the beginning as to why I have a land acknowledgement, because I kind of run in circles. I've surrounded myself with people for whom that's sort of expected, and so I chose to make that a part of my life so that even for people who don't expect it, I can explain it and perhaps help them you know, understand what that is. So similarly, I was introduced to this idea of and as opposed to but several years ago, my husband actually um, got a master's in world religions and the institution that he attended focused on educating to counter oppressions. So I was introduced to a lot of language there that I hadn't thought about before. And that, that was where this concept came into play. And I remember at first thinking it just, it really was tough for me to accept because 
actually my mother was an English teacher. <laughs> so I used to get fined like pieces of my allowance for using incorrect English. You want to talk about like, yeah, some colonization there anyway. <laughs> so that was hard for me because I'd been taught, you know, conjunctions, whatever, right? Like, oh no, you're supposed to use whatever you're supposed to use. But, and I guess what really stuck with me was that the, uh, the concept that was introduced was that when you say, but you just negate what you just said right before that you just cross that out so I don't think that's what you really mean to say do you really mean to say that the earlier idea is not true <laughs> um no I think you mean to say that the earlier idea and this idea that you have just also attached to it are both true and so that concept made sense to me and over time I incorporated that because when I would say but I would think to myself did I just negate what I just said? No, I meant what I just said. So that sort of helped me move into that. And now I use that because it does just, it seems very clear to me that that's true. There are lots of things that can exist. And even if they seem like totally different ideas, they're still valid. They're still real and they're still true. So that's my thought behind the and, like all of these things can actually exist together. I love that. and. I think also about your identity, what, how you, how you mentioned that you're of my Maya descent. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you also are from Guatemala, your, your family's from Guatemala and you are also, um, and then you're also Jewish. And, and I feel like this combination of identities that doesn't fit that mold kind of gives you like a little bit, I feel like a little liberty to play. Yes. And I do want to insert that what I didn't mention, because there were so many different qualifiers there, was that while I and my biological ancestry is from Guatemala, I was actually adopted by white parents. So my parents are not of the same ancestry as I. So that also <laughs> was a super interesting experience to have. And all of these things definitely play a part in my perspectives. Um, and having grown up with people making so many different assumptions based on just knowing maybe one thing about me or observing me and making assumptions, because a lot of people in the United States, particularly when I was younger, did not have experiences with people from other countries outside of perhaps Canada, um, or again, the European, you know, folks from European ancestry, and just not knowing what that meant, and what my experiences were. And of course, we're all a mix of both of our ancestry and DNA biology, as well as our environment and where we are. There's been, you know, a number of studies, of course, about nature versus nurture, right? And it's another and situation, right? It's everything together. So I do feel like um, people, you know, can benefit from like varied experiences and understandings of so many of these different things, because when it comes down to it, it really, everything is so individualized and we can talk about like what's best or what's advised or what have you. And at the end of the day, like each individual person has to make their their choice based on all of that information they're getting from their unique culture, their unique background and experiences. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if, if someone were embarking on this work that they are to embrace those kind of outside the norm, outside the cookie cutter parts of themselves, if that helps them in this process. 
And I really think that it does because when we sort of don't acknowledge all parts of ourselves, we're always going to be missing a little something, right? Like we can get along and, and kind of move through things. And when we have experiences, we may have emotions or thoughts that we're not sure where that came from because we're not really embracing and listening to our whole selves and all of the pieces of that. And mm. I think that we've spent so much time listening to external sources that sometimes it takes us a while to get back into that and to really know what is our voice. Like, what do we want? And there was a time where I would say, I'm not sure what I want is, you know, I'm so used to listening to these other ideas, which ones are mine. And I've had similar experiences from clients who say, when I say like, you know, tell me about this particular challenge or tell me what is it that you actually want? Sometimes it takes them a while. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of us need that, that moment to really, to really get into touch with all those pieces of ourselves. And the good news is once we start that process, it gets easier. It really does. It's like anything else. It just takes practice. And then we realize, oh, okay, I am embracing all these pieces of me. I am not as conflicted about revealing this in this group because they might not accept me or, you know, letting people know that this is a part of where I'm coming from. It gets easier over time. I love that. When you talk about assumptions, it makes me think how often we let people fill in the blanks for us. Like, oh, I, I, you know, you see me, I'm presenting as a woman. So you're going to make, and I'm wearing a wedding ring. So you're going to assume that I'm married to a man. Mm -hmm. And, and how often we, we let things slide, like, um, oh, your, your daughter must love wearing dresses or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. um, or whatever it might be. It's, so it's really having like the strength to say that assumption is incorrect. I'm going to fill in the blank for you. Yes. And I think sometimes we feel, we feel bad, like correcting someone, right. Or we think, oh, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or that, you know, and it, again, it's just like pushing through that to, to, to reframe it and to think of, you know what, they just don't know whatever this thing is, you know, that they've assumed they just don't know. So I'm just going to share that with them. And I think when we come from a place of wanting to share and wanting to help, people can also tell that, right. We're not angry or resentful. Not that we don't feel that way sometimes. Right. And so, you know, there are also times where maybe we don't speak because we don't, we don't feel like educating and that's okay. I, I always tell people like, it's okay. It's not our job. Right. And if we're feeling like we could share that, um, you know, that can have a ripple effect, right? Because then perhaps someone starts thinking about the assumption they just made, how it wasn't correct. And the next time they're interacting with someone, gee, is there like a different way I could frame this? So on the one hand, knowing that we don't owe anyone anything, um, you know, it is our lives and we can, you know, do whatever we want to with that information. And if we're feeling up to it, it's absolutely okay to share and push past that potential discomfort because we might be helping someone and they could be learning something. They could be, you know, having all kinds of things click. And so we really can change the world as big as that sounds with these small things because they really can ripple out into the future. Brilliant. Brilliant. I could, I feel like I could nerd out with you all day. on this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, I so appreciate you coming on. I think that I'm, I'm taking away this very conscious evaluation of how I use, but 
or and or and see what I can do to shift that a bit because I really think that how you talked was really powerful and knowing that obviously I use those words with my children and how that can help them in seeing the world as that and world instead of the but or the or yeah I really appreciate that um (laughs) Do you have any kind of last comments for the listener about, I want to say, as they are embarking on a path of unlearning? Yes, I would say that my biggest tip that I think can really benefit pretty much everyone is to approach everything from a place of joy. Um, And I know for some people that seems super simple. And I think so many times we're doing things out of a feeling of obligation or because it's going to make someone else happy. And that's still true with unlearning because we look at something and we think, oh, that might make so-and-so uncomfortable, or I'm not sure I'm ready to let go of that. What's really going to bring you joy? And a lot of times it's the answer of letting something go and looking at it from a different way, even if that seems really hard. And at the same time, we also don't have to force it. So if looking at something in a different way doesn't feel joyful, then maybe that's not for us right then and there. So using that as a guide, um, because it is easy to remember, and it's like one simple idea, and it really still will tap into the direction that we're meant to move in. So that's what I would offer. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Can you share with the audience where they can find you? Sure. I have a site and it's just called decolonizingyourhealth.com. So you can head to there, um, take in some of the content that I have that's available if people are wanting to look more into that. And then I also have a contact form. So I'm happy to answer individual questions, reach out to me anytime. I love to connect with folks. So um, just let me know if there's a way I can help. Well, Meredith, I am so happy our paths crossed and I just thank you for your presence in this conversation and the things that I've learned from you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Thank you for tuning in today. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.